All right, so we'll begin our study. Just um, We're moving into chapter 5 from, of course, chapter 4, but chapter 4 begins to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest. Remember that the entire book of Hebrews is a book about the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he is supreme uh, above all things especially above created things. And so chapter 1, the writer tells us that Christ is superior to the angels. Um, for instance, to what, which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son, or sit at my right hand? Uh, in chapter 2, we looked at the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, and so the writer of Hebrews goes from focusing on the divinity of Christ in chapter 1 and how preeminent he is above all creation. But then chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews is making sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is fully human. And so we look at the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is going to run throughout the, the, the book as well because it points out to us that we have a high priest. We're going to talk more about that tonight. But we have a high priest uh, who understands what we go through as people. Why? Because he, he was 100% man and 100% God. And so the things he faced as a man... Um, are the things we face as men and women, uh, just general humanity. So he, he understood what it was like to lose friends. He, he understood what it was like to watch loved ones pass away. And, and according to what we studied last week in, in the book of Hebrews, he didn't just understand it from a knowledge point of view, like to know what happened, but he experiences those things with us. And so when we go before our high priest, when we go before the very throne of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, then in essence, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus Christ fills what we fill. And that's, that's very important as we think about uh, the preeminent Christ above all things, and then yet the humanity and the human um, uh, side of the Lord Jesus Christ allows him to understand that not only sympathize with us, but also to fill exactly what we fill. And so you may feel like when you're going through difficult times in your life that nobody knows what you're feeling. And that's kind of true about other men and women. In fact, what I've found over time is that typically when people are suffering, maybe they're suffering loss or sickness, um, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job. Maybe they're just struggling with their children, relationships, their children, rebellion of children. Maybe it's a spouse. But as people are going through those things in their life, the truth is we try to stand by their side. We try to pray with them. We try to reach out to, to help them and to walk through their struggles with them. But there's only one who can feel exactly what you're feeling. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is great comfort to us. Uh, because we do have a high priest. We do have a Savior. We, we do have a King in the Lord Jesus Christ who not only knows what we're experiencing from an intellectual point of view, but who also feels what we feel. And so he, he has empathy and sympathy, and yet at the same time, he knows exactly what we're facing. And, and so we're invited now that we can go boldly into the very throne room of God. We can go boldly before the throne of grace in and through Jesus Christ, who is going to mediate to the Father on our behalf. And so think about that for a second. Here I am in my hurts and my circumstances in this life. And I'm going boldly before the throne of grace of God the Father. And seated at the right hand of God the Father is Jesus Christ, our King and our High Priest, the only begotten Son of God. 
And as we speak to Christ concerning what it is that's going on in our life, He is speaking to the Father on our behalf. And so we go before Christ, we share our hurts, and since Christ knows exactly what we're feeling, He fills it with us, then He's able to take our petitions and to take our desires, take our hurts and our pains and our troubles and present them to God the Father on our behalf. Uh, This is a beautiful picture of the relationship that Christ has with his bride, with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as the church, boy, we ought to uh, really put our thoughts and our minds and our concerns around this notion that we serve a Savior who knows exactly what we feel and what we're dealing with. And so we looked at that Sunday, um, well, I guess last Wednesday because we took Sunday off for Father's Day. And so tonight we're just going to kind of jump in with uh, chapter 5, and it continues where chapter 4 left off uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ being our high priest. And just kind of as you turn and make your way to chapter 5, where you go and find your copy of God's Word, uh, in chapter 5, it's a pretty short chapter, it deals with this notion of continuing uh, to talk about Jesus Christ as our high priest. And, and then it talks about maturity within the, the life of believers, the maturity within the, uh, the body of Christ. And so uh, two deeply needed and timely um, passages of Scripture to look at tonight. Uh, I, I do want us to, to open in prayer. And I just want to share my, my heart with you, just uh, some of the concerns. Um, it seems this past week that uh, a lot of people that I, I have, uh, that I know, uh, that I'm friends with, have uh, really in some way, shape, or form been impacted by this coronavirus. And so it seems like this past week, uh, even in rural South Carolina, that we've, uh, we've seen uh, an increase of not only people who test positive, but, but even some that we are connected to who've lost loved ones to this virus. And so uh, this time, really want to just pray that we would begin to see numbers come down. I know that we're testing more, and because we're testing more, we're going to see the numbers go up. Uh, but it, there seems to be a, a new sense of maybe panic uh, amongst a lot of people. And, and I just want to share that, um, that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. And so trust in the Lord, take care of yourself, wash your hands, uh, be careful where you go, and, and God's going to take care of you, you're going to be okay. And so even as our churches begin to try to get back to normal, we're taking all the safety precautions we can. Uh, we'll be checking temperatures at the door when you come in on Sunday morning just to make sure that if you inadvertently don't come and have a fever. And, uh, and so we're going to watch where we're sitting and try to maintain some social distancing within the church. Uh, but certainly want to invite everyone who feels comfortable to come out and take part uh, in worship on Sunday mornings. Uh, tonight I'm coming to you from a little bit different vantage point. Tonight I'm at the front of our sanctuary, uh, standing up at the podium, uh, because as we move into Sunday night and Wednesday night services, on the pews behind me or behind the camera, we will have... Um, have our Bible class in here, and students will be in here. And uh, as we study, uh, we'll be doing some discussion that you get to take part of uh, through Facebook Live. And so uh, be praying for us as we try to uh, present God's Word to the, um, the most that we can get it to, all those who are taking part in our Facebook services, um, but, but as well those who are ready to start to come back and to be in an in-person Bible study, uh, we want to make that available as well. So uh, pray for us as we try to find a happy medium of how we can continue to get the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ outside the church of the door, uh, as well as how we, uh, 
uh, allow uh, people to come in and be fed the Word of God in person. Uh, I want to ask you, too, that if you are a member of, of Buffalo or you're in the Blacksburg area, then you know that um, Coach Josh Batchelor uh, and his wife Jen, their little uh, baby Maverick, um, had um, was born very premature and uh, started running a high fever last night. They took him to the ER, and they put him in the hospital tonight uh, for observation, but they're running some tests to see what it is, and um, certainly at this point there's nothing to try to point to some virus or, or not a virus. They're just looking and trying to figure out why he had uh, that fever. So I'd ask that you would pray for Maverick, for Josh, Jen, Xander, and the, the entire family, uh, that God would uh, just touch their bodies and uh, uh, give them strength as they wait and uh, for the doctors to try to give them some answers. And so we want to lift up Maverick tonight. Uh, so I know that you have thoughts and concerns, and we'll just call those unspoken requests as it's impossible for you and I to speak to one another. And so all those who have unspoken requests, we want to pray for those at this time, and then we're going to jump into uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Let me pray for you. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, I thank you for those who are watching through Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or YouTube, Lord. Tonight, that you just minister with them right where they are, in, in their cars, going down the road, listening through a live stream or, or a podcast. Lord, in their homes with their families gathered around. Uh, Lord, maybe not even tonight, but tomorrow night and throughout the week, and even months later as people come back to this message, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, just touch their hearts and minds and bless them. Lord, we pray for Maverick tonight. I believe all those watching with me and all those who will watch this service will hear this request, and, and Lord, I know that they'll lift it up in prayer. And so, Lord, we pray that you touch Maverick's body, that this would be nothing more than uh, just uh, as babies sometimes run a fever. That would be all it would be. It would be gone and would not come back. Lord, we pray for our officials as decisions are being made concerning the openings of school coming up in the fall, uh, how to move our local governments forward. So, Lord, I just lift up our, our local uh, administrators, from our mayor to the town council, Lord, uh, to our state representatives and, uh, uh, Lord, our governor, all the way up, Lord, to the White House, our president and Congress, that you would give them wisdom as they lead and guide our local, state, and, and federal, um, Lord, government. Just give them wisdom, and, Lord, may they uh, uh, use godly wisdom in leading us and making decisions going forward. And Lord, I just pray for all the panic that maybe is out there tonight. As numbers have seemed to, to really risen in some places, and numbers continue to drop in others, I pray that you would remind us that you do not give us a spirit of fear, but you give us a spirit of power. Lord, you also give us a spirit of love. And so everything that we're about, may it be to bring our, uh, Lord, neighbors into a, a knowledge of who you are and the love that you have. And Lord, for all the unrest we have in our country right now, Lord, all the, the social unrest, Lord, I just pray that you would help the church to always grow in our ability to love you, God, and our ability to love others. And if we'll allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts and the Holy Spirit of God to lead us and guide us to a greater love for our God and a greater love for our neighbors, then we'll see this unrest be resolved. With real issues that are out there, help us to find real solutions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So we are in, in Hebrews 5, and I just want to read a couple verses out of the end of, of Hebrews 4 so that you can see how they, they flow together. Uh, Hebrews 4, just the last few verses, 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And so the end of uh, chapter 4 in the book of Hebrews talks us about, again, a Savior who understands from experience what we're dealing with and what we face. And so when we take our burdens and cares to the very throne of God, we have our high priest, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who knows exactly what we feel because he feels what we're feeling and he can take that to the Father. And so what an advocate we have. Chapter 5 continues the theme of Christ as our high priest. And in verse 1 of chapter 5 it says this, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer sin uh, or sacrifice uh, both gifts of sacrifice for sins. I'm sorry, I messed that verse up a little bit. Here's what it's basically saying, that when the priest would go in to make offerings, the priest had to, it was a two-step process for earthly priests. And what they had to do first is they had to make sacrifices and atonement for their own sin because the high priest was just a man. He was a sinful man. And so first he had to make atonement for his sin before he could go and make atonement for the sin of the nation. And so what we have in Jesus Christ is a perfect high priest. So there's no need for him to make that first sacrifice. Right? He's already the perfect sacrifice. He, he has nothing to atone for. And so we have a high priest who sacrificed himself for the sins of the world. He didn't have to make any sacrifices for himself. He was already the perfect son of God. And yet as the perfect son of God, he sacrificed himself. So he was both the perfect one to make sacrifice while at the same time being the first perfect sacrifice, the ultimate and last perfect sacrifice. Verse 2 of chapter 5 continues in this thought, uh, and then I want to talk about the three verses, first verses of chapter 5. Um, he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. Now, this is talking about the, um, the Levitical priesthood. This is not talking about Christ, but it's talking about just the regular high priest. How he would have to make offering for his own sinfulness. Uh, how he was weak in the flesh like the rest of us are weak. But what Christ did was to supersede that. He, he is the perfect priest. Uh, he is a, a prophet as he came and brought the word of God. He is a priest in the fact that he sacrificed himself for our sins and he is king. And so we have a prophet, a priest, and a king in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is important if you're going to understand chapter 5 because in just a moment we're going to talk about Melchizedek. You'll remember Melchizedek from way back in Genesis when Abraham is making his journey through the promised land and Lot and his family have been taken hostage by a few kings. Abraham goes in, uh, rescues Lot from those who had kidnapped him, uh, 
those who are with Abraham, the armies of those kings that have been kidnapped, uh, take spoils of war. But, but Abraham takes none. Abraham, on his way back, gets to Salem, which will later be Jerusalem, right? And, uh, and there comes into contact with Melchizedek. Melchizedek is, is a, an interesting figure in the Old Testament. I think most scholars would say what we actually see here is a Christophany. It's pointing us toward the future Christ. Because we, we, as we read in other places about Melchizedek, we find out this. He's the king of Salem. He is the priest of Salem. And so he is a priestly king. Uh, remember that uh, through the nation of Israel, uh, there was not this two-office position where there was both a priest and a king. But Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem... Again, Salem becomes Jerusalem. Um, way back with the covenant of A with Abraham that God made, we, we come into contact with Melchizedek, and Abraham gives him a tribute, makes an offering to him. He gives him a tithe, essentially. He gives him 10% of all the spoils that took place. And, and so that's important because the writer of Hebrews is going to say, Jesus Christ is a high priest like Melchizedek, not like the regular high priest, not like just the ordinary uh, Levitical priesthood uh, where you had different high priests who were sinful men and had to atone for their own sins. But Jesus Christ is not like that. He is a priest and a king who's perfect. Uh, Melchizedek, we read about that. He, doesn't have, he didn't have a father and a mother, so it's this uh, concept that Melchizedek was a eternal priestly king uh, without a beginning. And, and so that's pointing us to the New Testament where we have the Lord Jesus Christ who is without beginning. Right? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God according to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And so like Melchizedek in the Old Testament, our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, did not have a beginning. He's existed in eternity past. right? Um, infinitely in eternity past. And so the writer of Hebrews moves forward in, in verse 4 and says, no one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. Verse 6 is where we see Melchizedek, uh, where the father also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so what the Hebrew author does is point us all the way back to Genesis in the journey of Abraham uh, to the, the uh, contact and the meeting that took place between Abraham and Melchizedek where what we see is a priestly king who is eternal. And so really who we see in Melchizedek in the Old Testament is a picture of Christ. It, it's a Christophany. It's it's. Christ showing up in the Old Testament. And now we're reminded of that through the writer of Hebrews who looks back and says, when you look back to Melchizedek, what you're really seeing is a picture of Christ. I would just share just a, a few other thoughts, just kind of walking down through them. Um, Israel's high priest, you have to understand, uh, would stand between God and the people. And so they would go into the, to the temple 
way back in the Old Testament, the tabernacle. They would go into that, and literally they would stand in the gap. They would stand between the people and God. Understanding that if God looked on the sins of the people, that they would be found guilty and unworthy. But the priest would stand in and make sacrifice, and it would be a perfect sacrifice, right? There, there were certain qualifications before something could be a sacrifice. So they didn't, they didn't take a blemished lamb. They took a spotless lamb. Jesus is the perfect spotless lamb of God. And so once Christ made his sacrifice, once he went into as our high priest and stood between God and us, he was the perfect sacrifice, atoning for our sins so that his blood covers us and the, and the blood covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't need to happen yearly or, or every few years. It's a permanent fix. And so the blood of Christ is efficient for all those who believe in him and put their faith and trust in him. Now we're covered by the blood of Christ. He, as our priest, sacrificed himself. He is our king because God has seated him at the right hand of the Father and has given him authority over all the earth and over all created things. We're told that God created all things through Jesus Christ. So this is the high priest that we serve. And so the, the high priest of Israel would go in, stand between God and man, so that um, they might receive mercy and grace. So even the old system before Christ, even the system where a high priest goes in, stands between God and man, there at the Ark of the Covenant, right, with the Holy of Holies. And if you can just imagine this picture, and if you don't know what the Holy of Holies looked like in the temple, I, I would encourage you uh, sometime later, Google that so you can get a picture of what the Holy Holies look like. It's a 20 cubits by 20 cubits a square room. And in the middle, we have the Ark of the Covenant, which has the Ten Commandments in them. The Decalogue is what you may uh, hear that called when you look it up. So the Ten Commandments, uh, as well as Aaron's staff that bloomed, if you remember that, in the Old Testament. And, and there are two cherubim, two angels that are fitted on the top of the ark, right? Made out of gold. And so it's a picture of, this is the mercy seat now that we're talking about, the top of the ark, right? This is where God's presence dwelled. This is the mercy seat of God where God is looking down. And what he's actually looking down upon is the law. And so you have cherubim there who are guarding the law and God looks down and when God looks down and sees the law, he sees our sin. And so the way we receive mercy and grace is the high priest would go in and make sacrifice by a, a, a sufficient lamb, a spotless lamb, whose blood would cover the mercy seat. What did that do? When God looked down, rather than seeing the law and seeing our sins, he saw the spotless blood and therefore the innocence. And so the priest would go in, spread the innocent blood that would stand in our place, or the Jewish uh, during this time, this would have been the Judaism's way of being right with God. God would look down and see the blood of a spotless lamb, and therefore the people would receive mercy and grace from God, forgiveness of sins. Now, they didn't stop sinning, right? They were still just men and women, so each year they had to make different types of offerings, and the high priest would have to go in and make certain uh, offerings for the forgiveness of sins. Well, what Jesus did was to go in, but the blood that was shed over the mercy seat, right? Uh, the blood that would have been shed covering the Ark of the Covenant where God looks down and sees the law inside of it. And so the blood of Jesus is an eternal covering. 
And so he doesn't have to be crucified every time we sin. He was crucified once and for all. He declared it's finished, meaning the work that's needed for man to receive both salvation and reconciliation with God. And so the very blood of Christ, you can picture him as the high priest going into the Holy of Holies, having his blood shed upon the Ark of the Covenant. Now when God looks down, he sees the innocent, the perfect, the, the divine yet human blood of Jesus Christ. And that covering of blood is sufficient for eternity. And so this is why the writer of Hebrews says Jesus Christ is our high priest because he made offering. He not only made offering of his blood, but he also taught the very word of God. He came with the word of God. In fact, John says he was the word of God. And so in Jesus Christ, we have a prophet, a priest, and a king. And the sacrifice he made and the blood that he shed is sufficient for all time. Now we get down to chapter 7, and there's just a few verses that we're going to read here, and then we're going to switch tones and begin to look at the immaturity of believers, or the immaturity of believers, or, or maybe rather what we should look at is um, how do we become mature believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to address that. I've, I've told you several times during this study that the writer of Hebrews is a very sophisticated writer. Uh, and writing in, in the Greek language, it is beautifully written. And so we know that, that this it, it either comes from the Apostle Paul or someone who was a disciple of Paul or traveled with Paul. So many people say maybe Luke wrote this. Many people say Paul. Many people say Barnabas. Uh, we don't have anyone who actually signed the letter, but it seems to follow Pauline theology, what Paul taught. And, and so, it, it, quite frankly, Paul could have written it, but if he didn't, someone who was discipled by Paul wrote this, and the time frame uh, allows it to be in the canon. Verse 7 says this, During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals. So, so this is some of the qualifications that Jesus carried in his life that allows us to look at him as not only God, as not only Savior, not only Lord, but as high priest. Uh, so while he was living on earth in his earthly life, he offered up prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. This is a beautiful verse. Man, this is one of those verses that we ought to talk more about because this is what it essentially says, <clears throat> that Christ and God, God the Father, both being God, both knowing all things, yet Christ came in humanity so that he might learn obedience to the Father, that he might suffer and learn how to be obedient to the Father. This is interesting. Verse, verse 8, although he was the Son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, the writer of Hebrews is about to transition into how do we become mature believers. And so he's writing about how Christ offered up prayers on our behalf, making him a priest, sacrifices on our behalf. But then he throws in this, this passage here, and so, in his human nature, not in his divine nature, but in his humanity, he suffered things and learned obedience of how it's, uh, what it's like to be a man, what it's like to be a man or a woman, to, to, to be flesh. 
And so God knows what it's like to be God, knows what it's like to be divine, but Jesus Christ came and took on flesh. And in his flesh, he learned obedience to the Father through his suffering. And so, again, when we go before Christ, when we go into the very throne room of grace and approach the throne of God, we're going before Jesus Christ, our high priest, who understands suffering because it was through his suffering as a person that he proved and showed obedience to the Father. And so he suffered like us, but he doesn't sin like us. He struggled like us, but even in his struggles, he did not sin. And in those sufferings, and in those troubles, and in those losses, in those hurts, and those pains, that Jesus Christ suffered as a man, still fully God, but fully man, those, those hurts and trials and circumstances he went through as a man allows him to sympathize with those hurts and pains and struggles we face as men and women. So he suffered, and through that learned obedience to God. Verse 9 says, after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We might just simply say this when we see the order of Melchizedek. We might just say he became a high priest where he was also prophet, priest, and king. Without beginning and without end. The preeminence of Christ. Christ is greater than the Levitical priesthood. He transcends it. He's above it. He's preeminent to it. Um, that's our high priest. The one who once and for all made offering that we might have salvation. Now we move to the last passage in this chapter. Uh, where we look at the problem of immaturity among believers. And, and this is a huge problem. I would submit probably one of the greatest issues we face in the American church today. I can't speak on behalf of uh, the church movements in other parts of the world. There's great revival that's breaking out all around the world today. Maybe this virus that we're all dealing with may lead to a great revival here. I pray that it does. I'm praying that God would even use, because we're told that God uses all things to work for the good of those who love Him, called according to His purpose, and we've all been called to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with a lost world. So now, with greater purpose, in a time where people, there's great urgency with people and um, unsettled hearts, Maybe it's a great opportunity, it is a great opportunity for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to step up and to provide the answers to some difficult questions in this time we're going through. And the answer to those things are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the problems we have in the church is immaturity. Where the, we have people in the church that when you look at their actions, you look at their deeds, you look at their fruit, they don't, they don't look very much different than that of the world. And if we're really going to change the world for the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're going to have to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to have to be living and abiding in the Spirit of God. We're going to have to be able to demonstrate love and goodness and faithfulness and, and self-control. And so the writer of Hebrews is addressing here the immaturity. And so I'm going to, just going to read 11 through 
uh, the end of chapter 5, verse 14. And then we'll close just by kind of going over those and, and talking a little bit the conclusions we draw from this chapter. So verse 11 says we have a great deal to say about this. And it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Wow, that's a, um, that's a hard teaching. Right, so the writer of Hebrews writing to the church, writing to believers, is saying that there's things I would like to tell you about Christ and how he's a high priest that I can't even talk to understand it. And the reason you're not mature enough to understand it is because you're lazy. And so, in order to be a Christian who is mature, or a maturing Christian, it requires some work. There just are not shortcuts to having a close walk with God, having a, a close walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're truly going to take, take up your cross daily and follow Him, if you're really going to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're really going to do those things, then it's going to require work. You can't be a lazy Christian and have a really close walk with God. There's just no shortcuts to it. And, and, and we're looking in the church today, I think, for the, for the last several decades, we've been looking for shortcuts that they're just not there to find. There's no shortcut to the relationship you have with Christ. You've got to live with Him day by day. You've got to walk with Him through troubles and through sorrows and through pains and through circumstances. You have to walk through Him through the good times. You have to walk them through mountaintop experiences and all the things you celebrate in this life. You've got to spend time in His Word and you've got to spend time in prayer. Right? And, and if you're just a lazy believer who's not willing to put the time in, you're not going to see the fruit come out of, of um, what it means to truly have a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. What the church needs today are people who will stand up and put the work in that it requires in order to have a close walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have that kind of walk with Christ, all of a sudden it's, it's a lot easier to share the gospel with people, even people you may not know. It's a whole lot easier to walk through problems with someone who are going through difficulties when you have a close walk with Christ. But there's just no shortcut to it. And so the writer of Hebrews says, I, I would like to talk to you more about how Jesus Christ is a high priest uh, after the order of Melchizedek, but, but there's a great deal we can't say because you're not mature enough to hear it because you're lazy in your walk with Christ. Verse 12, Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Of course, the, the writer of Hebrews is continuing this thought process of there is so much to learn and experience in our walk with God. That there are just some beautiful things to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and about God the Father and about the Holy Spirit of God who's living within us and walking with us and training us in righteousness. There's so much to learn. We could, we could start today and spend every day for the rest of our life. There would still be more, infinitely more to learn about God and Christ. Yet there's things we're missing out on because we haven't put the work in. What, what do I mean by work? Well, typically we call the kind of work I'm talking about, we call it a part of discipleship. Or spiritual formation where we're, we're trying to form the spiritual man in our life into a strong person for Christ. 
What are we doing? What are we training ourselves up in? And so, so just like uh, someone who wants to be healthy physically, that you've got to take in nutrients and you've got to put in some work and you've got to do some exercising and it takes discipline in order to be healthy physically. Likewise, it takes, it takes exercise spiritually to become the spiritual people God's called us to be. We've got to be willing to put time into prayer and we've got to be willing to put time into the Word of God. We've got to be willing to sit around with other believers and as iron sharpens iron to discuss the things of God so that the rough edges we have might be knocked off. But before we can do those things, we have to have a relationship that's flourishing with God. I would submit to you there's two things that every single one of us need as believers. We need someone of the same sex. So we don't need a man and a woman. We don't need uh, to be uh, discipleship partners or, or spiritual teammates or whatever, um, whatever you call accountability partners. I believe it, that Scripture would be quite, quite clear that we need, as men, we need other men in our life. And as women, we need other women in our life. And then a spouse, a husband and a wife, they're a team already who in addition to being a team, they have other men, the husband has other men in his life, and the, the wife has other women in her life to, to help sharpen us in our walk with God. I would suggest you need somebody. You need to find somebody. There's somebody out there that God has that you need to spend time with and share what you've learned about Christ and your walk with Christ with younger men or, or new Christians. doesn't have to be physically younger, right? Physically, they could be older, but they've just come to Christ. And, and those people who've just come to Christ, they need someone who's walked with the Lord for, for a while, for some time, who have been through ups and downs in their walk with Christ. To share with them and to pour into their life. And, and not only do you need somebody that you can pour into their life, you need someone who would be willing to pour into your life. You need someone who has, uh, has been a Christian longer than you, who has seen the ups and downs, the good and the bads that come in this life to walk with you. Someone who raised a family and now has adult, adult children Young families with young children need those kind of people in their life. God uses people. God uses His Word. God uses prayer. He uses our circumstances in order to grow us into mature believers. But the writer of Hebrews here is saying to, to his audience, you ought to be mature, but you're still immature. You ought to be feeding on the deep things of God, but I'm still having to tell you the things of God that a child can understand. Rather than eating on the meat of God's Word, you still need milk, as a baby does. And so, this is something that we honestly need to do some self-evaluation of. We need to look into our own hearts and our minds and say, God, am I growing? Am I, am I getting into the meat of your Word? Or am I still eating on the milk? Am I still only able to digest a little bit and, and nothing very deep? Or God, am I going deeper in your word where I'm digesting real food? And it's causing me to really think. And it's causing me to ask some tough questions about my life and the way I live my life and about my God and who my God really is. In verse 13, the writer continues and says, Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced. 
with the message about righteousness. Because he's an infant. And so listen, absolutely the Apostle Paul in other places talks uh, somewhat in these same terms, right? When I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But now that I'm a man, I've put away childish things. Um, so we see some of the same type of teaching and, and doctrine and theology that Paul has is evident here in the book of Hebrews. And the warning is this. Listen, it's hard for you to learn more about the righteousness of God when you have to live on infant's milk. Everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. So what I would submit to you is this, um, that it's time to grow up. If you've been a believer, if this isn't new to you, and you've been in church your whole life, and you're still acting childishly, you're still uh, acting in a way that a new believer, a baby in Christ acts, then my suggesting is it's time to grow up. And all of us at times in our life need that challenge. Right? There's been times where I've had to be told by others, you need to grow up. You're acting like a child, acting like a, like a baby Christian. And those things aren't fun to hear, but they're needed in our life. We need people who will speak truth into our life. And the writer of Hebrews is not putting down those he's writing to. He's trying to encourage them with tough love that it's time for them to grow up. By now they ought to be dealing in the deeper things of Christ and righteousness and what sanctification looks like. And disciple other people what it means to take up their cross and walk daily for Christ for God in Christ but too many of us we're still infants and the last verse verse 14 of chapter 5 says this but solid food is for the mature this is where we desire to go this is this is when we're at a point where we're living life with Christ, where we are growing closer in intimacy with Him. In all relationships from a human perspective, and, and our relationship with God is that from our side, we are we're human. And we're living in a relationship with the divine, but we're human. In every human relationship, whether it's with God or whether it's with our spouse or whether it's with a good friend or whether it's somebody we just met, any of those relationships, you have to cultivate those relationships. You have to work at those relationships. Some of them come easier than others, and some are a struggle, but we work at it. Right? Marriage is a difficult relationship. Two separate people becoming one, uh, all of a sudden thrown together, having to learn how to live with one another. That's, that's tough. This is a picture of Christ and His church. Marriage will definitely make you holy, uh, as well as making you happy if you live it the right way. We want to be mature Christians. We want to grow in our walk with Christ. If we do that, we have to spend time cultivating a relationship with Him. What kind of relationship do you have with someone that you never talk to? It's no relationship at all, really. Uh, what, what kind of relationship do you have with someone that you never see? that you never meet with, that you never listen to. I would submit to you when we open God's Word, every single time we read the Word of God, God's speaking to us. It's His Word to us. 
Now, I, and I believe God will also speak to us through the Holy Spirit of God and through others. Our good Christian friends are so important because God will use those Christian friends to speak into your life about things you need to hear. But if we're going to have a close walk with God, we've got to spend time in that relationship with Him. Because this is the truth. In all relationships where at least one side is human, we're either growing closer to one another and more intimate with one another, or we're drifting away from one another toward isolation. Now this is true in our walk with God. This is true in our walk with our spouse. This is true in friendships we have in this world. Either we're becoming more intimate with one another, knowing each other more, growing together, or we're becoming more isolated from one another, growing apart, drifting away from one another. This is true of all human relationships. And it's true of our relationship with God. If you don't put any time in, you're not going to see growth in your walk with God. If you're not on your knees before God praying, if you're not in the Word, then you're drifting away from God. You're, you're getting further and further from God. Now, God's always there ready for you, right? He's there with His arms open, ready. The moment you turn back toward Him, He's there to receive you. But if we're really talking about becoming mature in Christ, and here's the admonition, here's the encouragement, is that we serve Christ who is our high priest, our king, who intercedes for us before God, who understands how we feel and knows how we feel because he feels how we feel. Now, how do we grow closer in our walk with Christ? We've got to put the time in. And this is where I think I see some of the most difficulty in our churches today is people want to grow closer to God, but they're not willing to put the time in it takes to grow closer to God. There are times when we begin to learn more and more about God that we get to places that are kind of scary for us, when we have to tackle some really tough questions. I know a lot of people who, when they read the Psalms and they read imprecatory Psalms, which are Psalms that talk about, you know, like destroying the enemy in war, that it causes them to ask tough questions about the kind of God they serve. Well, you know, why, is the God that we serve, did he really say to kill all the Canaanites? And the answer is, yeah, he did. Why? There's a reason and a purpose. And so we ought to get to the heart of God to figure out why God's Word says what it says. Look, God doesn't need any of us to apologize for him. All of God's Word is God's Word. It's all right, and it's all true, and it's all just. It's even all merciful. And so when we're really digging and growing in the Lord, we come to times where we're asking questions because, quite frankly, we've never thought about some of these things before. But that's true in every relationship. Like the deeper and more we get to know somebody, it causes us to ask more questions about this person. As we grow closer to them, we learn more and it causes us to ask questions about more. And those questions lead to even a closer walk. And so as we get to difficult things in Scripture that we read, and we begin to read and know what God said, it actually draws us closer to God as we seek to find the reason, the answer, the meaning behind these things. 14 finishes by saying this, Solid food is for the mature. For those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. 
I want to want to tell you as I was just talking about things that are hard to read, things that are hard to understand. The writer of Hebrews kind of helps clarify that and bring it all together for us. And he says, listen, that solid food is for the mature. And then attached to that is this notion where he says, because our senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. <clears throat> if you are not growing in Christ, if you're not mature in Christ, in fact, let's start with if you're not in Christ at all, if you're not a believer, then when you read Scripture, it makes no sense to you whatsoever. You read things that seem to go completely opposite of what the world would teach. Like, when I'm willing to lay my life down, that's really when I gain abundant life. Uh, when I realize that everything belongs to God and give everything to Him, it's when I begin to have everything I need. Uh, when I have to love God with all the love I have in my life, and when I finally give God all the love that's possible, then I can love others with the love of Christ. That, that if you are running low on money, that you ought to look to bless other people with what you do have. And then when you bless others, you're going to see blessings. This isn't prosperity gospel. This is just the truth of how God works. God will ask you to do something for someone when you feel like you don't have the ability to. And yet when you do it, it's really God who gets the glory and you grow in your understanding of God. You begin to trust Him with more areas in your life. But for someone who's not mature... These things are too much and too hard. Remember that even the disciples, when the Lord Jesus Christ began to teach things like this, if you're going to follow me, you've got to hate your brother, mother, sister. Come and follow me. The disciples said, whoa, hold on a second. These are hard teachings. These people aren't going to follow you. And Christ would say to them, count the cost. Everyone must count the cost. Before a king goes to war, he looks and sees what resources he has available. And if he doesn't have enough resources, then he withdraws. If he has enough resources, he pushes through to the battle. And we have to stop and ask ourselves as we read God's Word, as we dig into it, as we sing songs of praise, as we read His Word and talk to Him in prayer, we're going to come to things in our walk with Christ that are meant to grow us up, mature us. And there's been things, all of us in our earthly life, as growing up as a child, we had to accept some hard, difficult truths as we grew into young men and young women. We learned that everything we believed as a child was not true necessarily. And we had to tackle those things and then grow from those things to become men and women. And the same thing's true. I'm not saying you don't learn things that aren't true about what you heard about God, but you learn things about God that go much deeper than what you were taught about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit when you were just a babe. And in those ways, it can be scary as you begin to learn deeper and deeper things about God. But as you do, what you find is that your faith increases and you grow into the person, the young man, the young woman, the old man, the old woman, the middle-aged man and middle-aged woman, you're growing into the person that God's called you to be. And so we end chapter 5 with the fact that we serve a high priest who knows what we face, who's mediating on our behalf to God the Father. And that person, that, that, that high priest, that king desires a personal walk with us.
And he wants us to grow in that walk and to mature into the relationship we have with him. I'm going to tell you that the greatest joy of my life up to this point in an earthly relationship is my relationship with my wife. And I wouldn't say that I, our love is different, but what I found is that our friendship changes as we grow older together. We become deeper and deeper friends, still loving each other as much as we always have loved each other. But now that love is in different ways as well. We, we become closer friends. And it, it brings a whole new depth to, to our relationship. I have a different relationship with my dad now than I used to. We still love to passionately discuss God's Word. And if you're not um, in our family, you would say we like to argue about God's Word. But having the ability to argue or discuss or debate God's Word with my father, that's a deep level of a relationship I now have with my dad that I might not have had earlier. Even though we're talking and we're passionate and we're getting into it, because we both love God's Word, it's brought us to a new place. And even though we might argue with each other and, and, uh, and really uh, defend our beliefs and challenge one another's assumptions, that's a deeper walk we have as a, a father and a son as we discuss the deep uh, things of God. And so I just encourage you, don't settle for a thin relationship with God through Christ go deeper I mean jump in head first but you need some other Christians to do it with you you need some men you need some other godly men to walk through this life together going deeper into the things of God women you need some godly women as you dive into God's word and desire to go deeper it's when we do that we're going to all of a sudden see our kids asking questions that we have answers to that are found only in Jesus Christ. So I, I pray that, uh, that chapter 5 has been a blessing to you. I know that many of you are probably anxious to get to chapter 6 and let's talk about this notion of uh, can we go too far and lose our salvation? Can we go to a certain point and never a able to come back again? And so look forward to discussing that with you. I, I pray that God bless you throughout the remainder of this week. I pray that God will lead you to, uh, to his house in this next week coming. And uh, I thank you again for being here and know that you're in our thoughts and our prayers. Uh, hook up with us. If you have a question, direct message me or send a message to our church Facebook account or live stream or YouTube, wherever it is you're watching tonight. I pray that God bless you once again. Thank you for being with us.